Hello and welcome to another weekly podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. If you're in the Mankato area, join us every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and again at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at MankatoHilltop.org. Best of all, God is with us. Good morning, church. I'm Reverend Nate Melcher. I'm the pastor at Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis. Uh, The gospel reading is coming from the Gospel of John. It's from John 21. It's the last chapter. It's almost the very end of the Gospel of John. So Jesus has been uh, killed and has resurrected. And he's appeared to the disciples before in the upper room and then with Thomas in the upper room. So it's yet another appearance of the resurrected Jesus just before the end of the Gospel of John. So here are these words from John 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are many significant numbers in the Bible. When I say that, probably a few of them come to your mind. I I think three is a pretty significant one, three for the Trinity. Seven is significant in the Bible. Seven in that time and culture was known as a perfect number. So seven was perfect. If you see seven used in the Bible, it's because it's perfect. If you see 14 used in the Bible, it's because 14 is what? Double perfect. How about uh, 12? Where's 12 in the Bible? 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. How about 40? 40 days and 40 nights in the story of Noah and the ark. Or 40 years. 
for the Israelites wandering through the desert from their exodus from Egypt, right? So we have a significant number today in that text, 153 fish. Does anybody know why it's 153? All right, are you ready for the answer? Okay, the answer is, we don't know. <laughs> I went to seminary to learn that we don't know, and I've got the student loans to prove it. So, <laughs> Its meaning has been lost over time. A good guess is that 153 in this case just means a lot. It was a lot of fish. It, it's kind of like... The Israelites were probably not literally in the desert for a literal 40 years. The 40 is supposed to mean a long time. And same thing here. 153 fish is a lot of fish. It's an abundant catch. Another significant fishing number, four. That's the number of times that Pastor Matt has taken me out fishing on a boat in the last year. Here's another significant fishing number. Zero. That's the number of fish Pastor Matt and I have caught when we went fishing on the boat. Here's another significant fishing number. B, would you come up here a second? Thanks. This is one of my children. B, come on up. So B, you're nine now. You're, you're eight at the time of this number. This the significant fishing number is five. That's the number of seconds, the number of seconds it took B to catch her first fish when she was eight off the dock when Pastor Matt took us fishing on the dock. It was a sunny, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. All right. Thanks so much. So, uh, Pastor Matt did take me fishing off the dock, and then I caught a fish. So, cast your nets off the boat? No. Cast your nets off of the dock, and you got it. Let's get back to that significant fishing number of zero, a number I know well. That was also a significant fishing number in Minnesota for many years. That was the walleye limit for the Minnesota fishing opener up in Mille Lacs for years. How many could you take with you? 0, 0.0. Strictly catch and release a long time. It was better this year. My understanding is you could keep one walleye of a certain size. So we're getting better. That prime spot for fishing walleye in Minnesota, it is just starting to get over its lowest walleye population in over 40 years. To reinvest in rebuilding that walleye population, we had to not fish for a while so that we could get to the point of keeping one. There had to be a new way of fishing for a while. Now this text at the tail end of the Gospel of John, it's, re it's really a text for Eastertide. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you're okay hearing an Eastertide sermon when you're getting ready for Advent and Christmas. Can you deal with that? Okay, good. Uh, in this final chapter of the Gospel of John, the disciple, they go back to their old ways. They go back to their old ways. Simon Peter, what did he do before he was a disciple? He's a fisherman. They have witnessed the risen Christ. They have had the breath of the Holy Spirit come upon them. And in the midst of all of that, they still go back to what they know. And for many of them, that means fishing. They're on the Sea of Tiberias, sometimes known as the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is one of the cities on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And Simon Peter says to his fellow disciples, I'm going fishing. And they say to him, we will go with you. Now in that time, in that place, 
If you're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, you're going to do it at night. Uh, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and it's either a storm, like you see in the Bible, or there's like no clouds, and it's really bright. So if you are fishing during the day, you're on your boat, and the boat, they're not big boats. They, they have one that they uncovered an archaeological dig. It's about maybe the length of from pew to pew, and maybe that wide here. It's not a big boat. So they're on that boat. If you're doing it during the day, no cloud cover, it's going to be scorching hot, and those fish are going to see your boat. And those were thick nets, so they would see the nets, so they're avoiding the nets. So you would fish at night, under cover of night, so you would have a better chance of catching your fish. You would fish all night long, come to shore, and then sell your catch at market the next morning. It's a long, rough job. Anybody work night shift? That's what they're doing. On this particular night, on the boat, their catch is all too familiar to me. Zero. At daybreak, Jesus spots them from the shore and cries out, Children, have you no fish? And they say, No. He says, Cast the net to the other side. And they do. And the hall is amazing. When they didn't, when they didn't know what to do, they went back to what they knew. And it turns out they didn't do so hot. What got them to where they were couldn't take them to where they're going next. The physical motions of casting nets, there's usually one way. Uh, it would be strange to do it a different way. You have that muscle memory and maybe unconscious patterns. We have this too. So I'm going to invite you to cross your arms, or cross your legs, or cross your fingers. Go ahead and cross your arms. Okay? Now cross them the other way. Isn't that weird? That's really weird. I didn't ask you to cross your eyes, because if you can do that the other way, then you're the walleye. Um, <laughs> the disciples, they are fishing the same way they always have. But now they see this payoff of setting aside old habits, putting away their preferences, and trusting Jesus. It's not just a good catch. It's a great catch. 153, right? And that's a lot. In this story, and in our lives as disciples, what changes lives isn't disciples coming together to do what they've always done. What changes lives is disciples coming together to do what they've never done before. And my favorite part, they listen to Jesus, and when they do, they don't even know it's Jesus. They didn't recognize him as he told them from the shore to cast their nets to the other side of the boat. Only after the abundant catch does the disciple shout out, It is the Lord. And this happens all the time in our lives, doesn't it? How often do we recognize God at work in our lives in hindsight as opposed to the moment? Especially in times of change, when we'd like to think that growth is optional. I'm reminded of that story from Genesis when Jacob was on the run after running afoul of his brother Esau and he has that dream of the ladder to heaven and he wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. Many of us know that feeling. 
Now here the disciples have that feeling, and I'm glad that they had this awakening after they went back to what they knew. And we get to ask ourselves, do we do the same? In the face of challenge, of change, do we just go back to what we know? Do we put ourselves into that box? Do we say growth is optional? And if we do, what is the cost of that? Automobile pioneer Henry Ford once said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Church is a funny creature of habit. We think if we, if we just do what we've always done, or we just go back to what we used to do, then everything will be just fine. The church looks at a national decline in membership and participation, and we say, well, if we just keep doing it this way, then they'll finally come back. If we just cast the nets on this side, then it will be okay. What if the church... What if, what if my church and their church, what if your church is out on the water and you're doing your own thing and then someone on the shore sees us, we can't quite make out who it is and they ask us how it's going and we say it's kind of sort of okay and, and, then, and then they told us try a different way. Would we listen? Would we cast our nets on the other side? As this church steps into 2024, one of the best ways we can cast our nets on the other side is you can recommend your church. You could recommend your church. Now, I didn't say invite people to church. That's different. That's hard. Okay? Uh, a lot of clergy that I know, we're kind of over that Sisyphean task of asking people, please invite people to worship. Because here's the truth. If I were to say, hey, come back next Sunday and make sure you invite a friend, a whole audio would be chuckling and saying, I don't think so. Right? Invitation can feel invasive. It kind of puts you and them on the spot. It, like, what if you invite? And then they, they say no. Are they rejecting you? Are they rejecting the friendship? Are they rejecting your church, which means so much to you? That's a lot of awkward pressure. And then even the awkwardness of anticipating the awkwardness is awkward. And if you haven't been able to tell yet, I'm super awkward enough as it is. <laughs> Recommendation's different. So you cast your nets on the other side and you recommend your church. And we love recommending. As a culture, we do. Oh, I was at that Brit Floyd. It was so good. That's a recommendation. Oh, we went and ate. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was, it was really good. I'll have to look it up. Uh, oh, it's so great. You should go. That's a recommendation. I can't, it's the, the place between Chipotle and Coldstone by the campus. Uh, Asian Fusion. It was so good. Uh, okay, how about this? Well, if we read a good article online, there are those little icons at the bottom. You can tap or click it to share it or recommend it. If you're hiring somebody, what do you do? You call their references to get recommendations. If you're traveling, you want a recommendation on where to stay. If you're picking a restaurant, you read the reviews. You're buying something, you're reading the reviews. You pick a church, you read the reviews. For as little as we invite the people closest to us to join in the best things that we do, it never ceases to amaze me how often we seek recommendations from strangers. 
If I'm buying something on Amazon and I'm reading those reviews, I don't know those people, but I'm trusting what they wrote. Wow. One time I was in Costco, you know, like a price club, Costco, and I'm walking in and there's a fellow there at a display of uh, fitness trackers. So like the kind of trackers where it tracks your steps and your heart rate and things like, I love that kind of stuff. And he was holding up one that I had bought and was using and liking, and then another one that I said no to. And as I'm walking by, I'm a little too folksy for my own good, and I say, uh, hey, uh, for what it's worth, I really like this one, I got that one. And he goes, oh, uh, tell me why. I'm like, well, uh, I like it because it does this, it does that, it, it doesn't do this, but that's okay, and, and I don't like this one because it doesn't do what I want it to do, and kind of gave him the, my, my pitch, and he goes, okay, well, I'm convinced. I think I'm going to buy this one. Thanks a lot. And I said, you're welcome. Thank you for shopping at Costco. <laughs> if we seek recommendations from strangers, think of the impact recommendations from people we know and trust. What's that impact? And friends, we have something worth offering, and that's the love of Jesus. Amen? And we have a great way to share that love of Jesus that's worth recommending. And it's this church, amen? amen? Yeah. You don't even have to say the words, I recommend, to recommend. It might be like this. Uh, my family, we go to Hilltop. My kids love Wednesday nights. Oh, I go to Hilltop. I have a good experience just about every time I'm on campus. Oh, I started attending Hilltop on Easter, and I felt welcomed ever since. We did the service project at Hilltop, and it felt so awesome to help people. I like that I can be part of Hilltop in, in the building or online or on TV. That church, they really know how to meet me where I'm at. I've been a longtime member of Hilltop, and it gives me hope. What would Mankato be like if we talked like that. Friends, Jesus may be calling any one of us to cast the net on the other side for how we faithfully participate in the life of our church. If Jesus tells you to cast the net on the other side, will you do it? If Jesus was to ask us, child, are you sitting where you always sit? Yes, Lord. Cast yourself to the other side of the sanctuary and sit by someone new. Child, are you only chatting with your friends or are you only chatting with people of your generation? Yes, Lord. Cast yourself to a new face and engage someone new. Child, are you the loudest voice in the room for your favorite ministry? Yes, Lord. Cast the net on the other side and go to bat for a ministry that you don't often champion. Are you unsure about the future of your church? Yes, Lord. Turn in your commitment card before you find out if the capital campaign is fully funded. Are you talking about the church's memories? Yes, Lord. Good. And... Talk about the church's dreams. Or put another way, are you talking about your church's past? 
Yes, Lord. Good. And talk about your church's future. Child, have you worshipped with that one person for like 30 years and you forgot their name the first week you met them and they never wear a name tag and you spent the last 1,500 Sundays disguising the fact that you don't know their name because you're too embarrassed to say something? Maybe, Lord. Yes, Lord. Cast them that and ask them their name. That's a tough one, Lord. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And Peter went. Here in the Gospel of John, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples say, we will go with you. Are we the sort of people who say, we will go with you and mean it and do it? It takes guts. It takes commitment. It takes investment, it takes action, it takes finances, it takes faith to say, yes, we will go with you. Theologian Sarah Miles writes about the most important word in the Bible. The most important word in the Bible is with. Best of all is, God is with us. We say that every Sunday at our church, too. Last words of John Wesley. Confident words as he goes into a mystery. Biggest mystery of all. She says, the most important word of the Bible is with. God says to Abraham, I will be with you. God says to Moses, I will be with you. God says to Joshua, I will be with you. God says to the prophets, tell the people, I am with you. Jesus says to the disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, go therefore and make uh, baptize uh, the nations in my name, and remember, I am with you. What if what got us to where we are won't take us where we're going next? What if we need more than a faster horse? What if what we need to remember is Jesus is with us? Where's Jesus going next? What if it's different from where we've gone or how we've done it? What if he says, cast the net on the other side? Will we go fishing with him? Will we commit? Will we put skin in the game and we'll say, yes, we're, we're going to do this? Now up in Mille Lacs, they put severe limits on harvesting walleyes to try to restore that 40-year record low population. Do you know what's at a record high population in the United States? The nuns. Now I don't mean N-U-N-S nuns. But N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Those are the folks where if you were filling out a survey about yourself and you came to the part of your religious affiliation, you would check none. That population's growing. I've been there. I'm a former atheist myself. We all have a nun in our lives. And up in Mille Lacs, the prime spot for fishing has a low population. But in our mission field of offering the love of Jesus, there is a no-limit catch. Cast your nets to the other side and co-create with God. There are young people who need intergenerational connections for their children. You know, there are so many think tanks who research this and that about the life of faith and church. The, the one thing that I've seen in the data 
that can show a correlation between uh, helping people, young people, have faith as children and teenagers and retain or grow in faith as young adults is they have an intergenerational contact, intergenerational person who they're not related to. Surrogate grandmas and grandpas, surrogate aunties and uncles. That's what the data shows when I read it. Young people who need intergenerational connections for their children. Uh, how about this significant number? 58,763. Do you know that number? 58,763, according to the internet, according to the U.S. 2020 census, that's the combined population of Mankato and North Mankato. 58,763. This is your mission field. This is your Sea of Galilee. The fishing opener is right now. So let's go fishing. Jesus calls out to the church. Are you recommending the church to others? And the church says, well, yeah, we've been kind of sort of thinking about it. We're going to make a committee who's going to think about whether or not we should think about it. <laughs> Jesus says, cast your nets to the other side and just go for it. Make your boat, make this building your boat, make it better. It's a great campaign. Keep up that welcoming vibe. This is like the second or third time we've worshipped here. You're a very welcoming church. I always appreciate it. Keep up that vibe, right? Because it's the building, but it's also the culture together. And then tell people about it. Recommend. The church, or rather the, the catch can be abundant through this church. And the best part is you can start right now. One of my favorite writers is Stephen Pressfield. He always reminds us you don't need permission to start. He writes about writing. He has a little book called Do the Work. It's a very thin book. He doesn't want you to spend your time reading. He wants you to spend your time getting out there in the world. In the book, Do the Work, he says this. Don't prepare. Begin. Start before you're ready. Cast your nets on the other side. There's this New Yorker cartoon. This guy is standing in front of two doors. And one of the doors is labeled heaven. And the other door is labeled books about heaven. <laughs> and he looks very puzzled. We can talk about what we're supposed to do on and on, or we can just get to it, amen? Yeah. So friends, make your financial commitment to your church. Be part of the capital campaign that enhances this amazing space. And tell people about what Jesus is doing with Hilltop United Methodist Church. So love your church's memories, its past. Dream your church's dreams, its future. And get the name of that person from 30 years ago that you forgot. And of sharing the love of Jesus as Hilltop United Methodist Church, if that's changing your life for the better, recommend your church to someone new. Casting that on the other side, and maybe they will say, we will go fishing with you. May you feel the love of Jesus, the one who loves all people, as he goes fishing with you every day. May it be so, and amen. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. Don't forget to visit us online at MankatoHilltop.com.